Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I almost never, ever leave this show with a team that lost, but I'm going to do so this morning. I'm starting with the team that lost 43-40 last night. I'm starting with the team that went into Foxborough 5-0 and left Foxborough 5-1. And the reason I'm doing this, because while there is no such thing as a good loss, that was damn close to a good loss for Kansas City. They played their asses off. You see, we knew what the Patriots could do at home under the lights in a big game. We did not know what KC could do in that situation. We did not know how Patrick Mahomes would respond. But both he and they showed up huge. And it wasn't just facing Bill Belichick and his crew in Foxborough in prime time. It was facing them after they had extra time to prepare coming off a Thursday night game. So you give the hood man that much time. You're asking for trouble. I don't care who you're matching up with. You give that guy that much time. You're asking for a lot of trouble. And Mahomes and KC were in trouble in the early going. It looked like Patty Big Gun's official welcome to the NFL moment. Couple of picks in terrible spots. No touchdowns in the first half. This crazy dynamic and exciting offense was reduced to three field goals. Even worse, Mahomes finally looked like a guy making his seventh NFL start. He looked uncomfortable. He looked unsteady. He looked, I mean, I don't want to say it, but he looked unsure. That's something we've never seen from him before. Hesitant and unsure. I don't even know that it existed in this guy's DNA. Everybody else, sure, but not Mahomes. He's different. He's not like anybody else, but that's not unusual, especially for a freakish talent like Mahomes, because that's what happens when you face Belichick and Brady. They make you hesitant. They make you unsure. They make good quarterbacks look really bad. Plenty of teams with Super Bowl aspirations have rolled into New England over the years only to get punched in the face and told to sit the hell down, and that's how it looked. Because they were down 28 to 9, and that one had blowout written all over it. My man was finally going to get his comeuppance, and the hot takers already had their moment was too big for Mahomes lava ready for today. But then the second half happened. Then Mahomes to Kareem Hunt for 67 yards happened. Holmes flush from the pocket up the field. Catch made Kareem Hunt 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5. Kareem Hunt touchdown. Kansas City. Yeah, suddenly he had a game. Suddenly a blowout was now a one point game. Well, almost. Not before a field goal and a strip sack of Brady, followed by Mahomes to Tyreek Hill. Then you had a game. Delayed blitz by New England. Mahomes, corner pattern right. He wants Tyreek Hill, makes the catch. Far side, touchdown. Kansas City. The cheetah burned him last year. He burns him tonight. Now we had a game. Now that blowout was a one-point game. 27-26, to 26, entering the fourth. Patriots hit a field goal. They go back up by four. Then Mahomes goes back to Hill again. Mahomes looking left. Fade pattern left side as trying to dive for the ball. Tyreek Hill. He's got a touchdown. Kansas City. Tyreek Hill with a sliding catch. 
And then just like that, the Chiefs were not only back in the game, they were leading the game. They went from being blown out by 15 to up by four in a matter of minutes on the road in Foxborough where Super Bowl dreams do go to die. Patriots quickly score twice. They go back up by seven. At that point, it felt like it should be done, but it wasn't because with Pat Mahomes, it's never done. With Mahomes and Hill, they weren't done. And at this point, you pretty much have to kill Mahomes to beat Mahomes because if this dude is still breathing, he's dangerous and he's dropping daggers. Play action fake, outside rush. Mahomes stepping up. He's throwing deep. He's got Tyreek Hill wide open at the 35 left, sprinting. 25, 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Kansas City and New England for the second straight year sees the Cheetah go for 75 yards on a catch. And, of course, it was Mahomes to Hill to tie it. Chiefs radio. Man, there's something about Hill. There's something about Hill. I mean, this dude's done some pretty horrible things off the field. But on the field, I've never seen a guy get to that gear as quickly as he does. That guy, like, goes from first to fifth. And, of course, the Patriot fans went loser and threw beer on him. And, of course, the Chiefs left too much time on the clock for the Patriots. But that's not the point. That's beside the point. For the first time in a long time, hell, for the first time ever, winning was not the point. It was going on the road and showing up the way that they did. Losing to New England was more impressive than beating the Chargers or the Steelers or the Jags. And that's taking nothing away from those wins. They were really nice wins. And Kansas City was really impressive in those wins. But last night, they were even more impressive in defeat. They sent a message in defeat. No, they're not perfect. Their defense still has questions. But Patrick Mahomes has answers, a hell of a lot of answers. Just ask Jason McCourty. McCourty said, quote, he's going to be special, end quote. He went on to say that Mahomes, quote, goes out in the first half of the game, throws two picks, and did not blink at all. He came out, he played his game, and was able to get on the edge a few times and make big plays. He was everything we saw on film, end quote. Yeah, that and more, a hell of a lot more. Personally, I cannot wait to see them run this back in the postseason. And when they do, it would not surprise me at all if the Chiefs turn the tables on the Pats when it happens. Because if you didn't know before, you know now. You know now about Mahomes and the Chiefs. Because at this point, nobody wants any part of these guys. And that's the reason that I'm going to break format and start the show with somebody who lost. Something I never, ever do. Because they look that good doing it. And they did play their asses off. You know what you get with the Patriots. That's why I didn't start with them. You know what you get with the Patriots, and now we know what you get with the Chiefs. Not only does the AFC West run through them, after what I saw last night, the entire AFC may also. Again, the rare time I lead the show with a team that lost. The rare time that I don't give a damn about the scoreboard. The rare time that something did live up to the hype. What a great game that was. That was an amazing thing to see. CFD22. My guest is Charles Davis. Charles, good morning. What's up? How are you? I'm doing great, Jim. I love when they call for the slump buster. I mean, you can't beat that. Dude, <laughs> can I tell you something, Charles? If you knew who she was talking about, you'd like it even better. The flight deck. <laughs> my man. Appreciate you saying it. Right, so listen, you were on the call for the Carolina-Washington game yesterday. How impressed were you with the way Washington bounced back from that ugly performance against New Orleans on Monday night? 
I was impressed, Jim. I wasn't surprised. And I know it's easy to say afterwards, but just look at the history of this team with Jay Gruden as the head coach. They tend to bounce back after, after big losses and play really well. The consistency has been their issue. You know, I talk, I've talked with Jay about it, and he's been very open and told my crew before the Green Bay game, we are a front-running football team. For whatever reason, when we're down, we don't play nearly as well. We, don't have the, we have not shown the great comeback capability. But if we get out and get on top of you, look out. And what did they do against Carolina? Jumped out to a 14 to nothing lead. They were embarrassed about Monday night. They had their resolve, but they played from the front. Like my good friend Randy Moss of horse racing fame said, when a horse breaks from the gate fast, it's called he caught a flyer out of the gate. And when Washington does that, they're a lot tougher team to beat. Charles Davis joining us. You know I love a horse racing analogy. Hey, listen, in your position, in my position, we're supposed to be objective. We can't play favorites. I get that. I got to say, though, I was really happy to see Josh Norman bounce back the way he did against his former team. I love the guy because – and there had been so much talk all week long about maybe he had gone Hollywood. Maybe he had yeah. lost something off his game. What did you see while you were watching him? Well, I talked about it during the game, Jim, and what was interesting about it is all the things you said, as, as we well know, are so true. Different people analyzing him, okay? I, I've seen where my, my colleague at NFL Network, Charlie Casserly, had said that he's the third best corner on the team behind Quentin Dunbar, the converted wide receiver, and Fabian Moreau out of UCLA. Um, another, you know, a colleague of ours in the business, Booker McFarlane, had said on Monday Night Football, he's no longer the top corner on the team Quentin Dunbar is. Well, he has pride. He was stung by that. And I thought that in this game he played his best game of the year. It wasn't perfect. They attacked him late in the game and got some plays on him, Jim. But prior to that, Carolina had studiously avoided him. They aimed all their big shots at Quentin Dunbar. So that told me that in Carolina's estimation, even though Josh wasn't playing at his at the level that people expect from him, they expected him to play well in this ball game and they still had full respect for him. He had an interception and a forced fumble in the game. I think Josh Norman is on his way to being back towards being the Josh Norman you're looking for. I don't know that he's the lockdown guy that people have made him out to be. But I also don't think that he's as bad as, as people said after the New Orleans game either. You know, ever since I started doing this podcast, people have been asking me over and over again for advice. Normally, they want to know who to bet. Who do you bet this week? Listen, the truth is, I don't know, right? I can give you an educated take, but I don't know for certain. Now, I know a lot of you think you do know. I know a lot of you know you know. If that's the case, you need to check out my bookie. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. This is why I always tell people to bet with my bookie. Trust me, they are the very best bet this season. They have been in business for years, they have great reviews online, and their mobile site is so easy to use. I would only recommend a service to you that I've been using myself. This is why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. Join right now, and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use the promo code ROME and activate that offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. Do not forget to use the promo code ROME when creating your account, and you can claim up to 1000 in free play. You play, you win, you get paid with my bookie.
Charles Davis joining us. All right, so last night, Kansas City goes to New England, and in the first half, Patrick Mahomes looked a little like you'd expect somebody to look, making just his seventh NFL start, but then he turned it around in the second half. Charles, I mean, you've been around this game a long, long time. How many quarterbacks have you seen with the composure of Patrick Mahomes at this stage of their career? Very few. Very few. And when we add to it, in New England, Sunday night, New England having 10 days to get ready. And what did we all say, Jim? Right? What we always say, oh, my God, Belichick that much time with a young quarterback? Well, as you noted, he had a couple interceptions early. Stayed with it. But I do think there's a big part of the makeup of Patrick Mahomes is, is pretty incredible. But growing up in that major league, big league locker room with his dad as a pitcher, being around people, you know, my colleague, uh, you know, Alex Rodriguez over at Fox, he's, he's, he's Patrick Mahomes' hero. And the dad has often said that Alex would treat him like an adult he was the one that would say, hey, you're in the clubhouse, let's do this, let's do that, let's go hit the balls, let's shag, let's do all that. This kid had a chance to be around these big-time elite people and see how they did it, and along with his own personal makeup, has come out pretty well. And the last thing I would say, Jim, is he had a chance to learn po- poise and composure at Texas Tech, too, because most of their games were shootouts, and he was often playing from behind trying to rally his team. Charles Davis, my guest, you know, when you talk about Mahomes and his background, he's just so unique in so many different ways. That said, you're involved in the show Sports Stars of Tomorrow, and it profiles yeah. and it interviews high school athletes. So how different are today's high school athletes from the ones of, say, maybe a decade or two ago? Are they more mature? Are they more polished now than they were then? They are everything that you just said and uber-confident. Okay, look, we've always had confident kids coming up, all right? You had to be in order to play. But there was also, Jim, a time where you, quote-unquote, waited your turn. Does that make sense? Like when you rolled into the new program, going from high school to college, you kind of had to sit back and, okay, i got to wait for the veterans and let your talent come through and beat out a guy. Well, these young people nowadays, Jim, they're playing elite tournaments in AAU or seven-on-seven flag football at a younger age. They're going to these things like the opening, right, the elite players. They're seeing each other on the camp circuit, so they're all kind of doing, you know, everybody talks about the NBA and let's get together and form super teams. These kids recruit each other. Hmm. When I was that age, okay, and I, said, I mean, it's back in the dark ages of the 80s, when you heard about a great player across the country, there was a mythical quality to him because you just didn't see him. There weren't highlights, you know, there wasn't this. You heard about that guy, go, wow, I heard he's really great. These kids all know each other now, and they are not cowed when they go to the college level. They go in expecting to take someone's job, expecting to play right away, and that's a big positive for teams. But when you're trying to talk about harmony and dynamics, it's a lot tougher for the older guys now because they don't wait their turn anymore. These kids are precocious to the nth degree, and, and let's face it, They're on television. They play on TV from the time they're 12 years old. (laughs) Going to these big-time places is not going to intimidate them at all. Charles Davis joining us. You can watch him on NFL Network and Fox Sports. Or as you mentioned, back in the dark ages of the 80s, let me go back to your career for a minute. You were a DB at Tennessee. You went to training camp with the Cowboys. What was that experience like? What do you remember about that? It was a great experience, Jim, and I'll tell you this very quickly. My dad was a uh, high school and college basketball coach and played football and baseball in college at Bluefield State in West Virginia, which at the time 
was a historically black college and university. So he knew the score. So I go to camp. It was the, the waning days of Tom Landry as a head coach. The Cowboys weren't as good as they had been, but there's still some pretty recognizable people there. Everson Walls, Michael Downs, uh, Danny White was the quarterback, you know, right on down the line. So I go, I do my thing, blah, blah, I wasn't good enough. They cut me. So the morning I got cut, <laughs> the man knocked on the Turk, knocks on the door and says, hey, Davis, Coach Landry wants to see you and bring your playbook. So I'm, I've been around sports my whole life, Jim, so I knew exactly when I was getting cut. So before I ran over to see Coach Landry, I called my dad. Now, this is the old days. I had to get the calling card out and hit the rotary phone. So I called him that morning back in New York. And I said, hey, Dad, um, I think I'm getting cut today. And he said, why? And I said, well, the man just knocked on the door and said I had to see Coach Landry. And he goes, oh, well, heck, he might want to you know, just tell you, you you need to do this or try and help your game, what have you. I said, Dad, the man told me to bring my playbook. He said, oh, you're cut. <laughs> that's awesome. Never forget it. That's my that's my biggest memory right there. The old man at that point just reverted to being a coach and an athlete, and forgot he was dad. Right. He's like, oh yeah, you're you're, you're cut. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that that is tremendous. So, do you remember? Was there anything to the conversation with Tom Landry? If you're going to get cut, it may as well be by a legend like Tom Landry. Yeah. What do you remember about it, the conversation? It was terrific because he said, you know, there's a standard form where they have to check why they're cutting you, and the standard form is performance not up to standards or something like that. That's what you kind of have to de- say. And I said, Coach, is it okay if I disagree with that? And he said, yeah, you can disagree, but, you know, it's not going to change anything. I said, I know. And he just looked at me and said, so he said, son, what are you going to do now? I said, well, Coach, I, you know, I graduated four years at Tennessee. I played my fifth year as a red shirt as a graduate student. He said, oh, what in? I said, in history. He said, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, I plan to go back to school. And if I don't hook on anywhere else, I'll go back to school and get my graduate degree. He said, well, that's terrific. He said, I'd love to hear that. That's what you need to do. So he was very nice. Fast forward X number of years down the road, I'm working for the United States Olympic Committee in Colorado Springs. Tom Landry's in town to give a, a, a talk that a number of us attended. And after it was over, able to meet with him and go by and all my friends were there like you got to say something you got to say something i said hi coach i'm charles davis and you're not going to remember me but you cut me from the cowboys and he looked at me he said ah probably one of my mistakes i said well coach i'd say with your record i doubt it was a mistake i enjoyed i appreciated the opportunity that That was the last time i had a chance to meet with coach landry that is good stuff nfl network analyst and nfl and fox analyst you can follow him on twitter as well at cfd22 charles davis my guest that's a great way to start the week charles thanks so much man really appreciate you and great to have you back on hey thanks for having me on jim i appreciate it you take care of yourself we'll talk down the road i'm sure you got it you know it Hey, listen, what do you got going this weekend? In fact, what are you doing this week? Are you looking for a night out? Maybe you want to go see your favorite band in person. Maybe you want to be there in the crowd to cheer on your favorite team. Whatever it is, with Vivid Seats, you can be there. You can attend that concert, that show, or that sporting event, and you can do so at a great price. And to make things even better, Vivid Seats has an exclusive promo code for new customers to receive 10% off your first ticket order to save even more money. Here's what you do. You go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. First-time customers can use the promo code ROAM for 10% off on your first Vivid Seats order. 
Once again, get that app, download it, and then use the promo code Rome and get 10% off. Also, every single purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater tickets and more, Vivid Seats has anything you need. Download the app, enter the promo code Rome, and get 10% off your first order on Vivid Seats. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let Vivid Seats help get you to your favorite live event. Do you remember prior to that game, there was all that talk about the Pats dynasty being dead, the changing of the guard, Miami was going to run that division. Then they got hammered by 31. Then the Bengals housed them by double digits. And then news broke Sunday morning, the starting quarterback Ryan Tannehill was a late scratch. The best piece of news coming from the Dolphins' Twitter was this absolutely iconic tweet by beatman Joe Shad. He tweeted this, quote, The Dolphins have complimented Brock Osweiler for his snap count etiquette and huddle etiquette since his arrival, end quote. I mean, I didn't even know that snap count and huddle etiquette were things, like that that existed. Yet, here's the positive spin out of Miami for an offense about to face Khalil Mack, that tall dude with that terrible tattoo and a big bank account who has been shipped from Denver to Houston to Cleveland, back to Denver and out of Miami. is going to be an absolute gentleman in the huddle and at the line of scrimmage because he has huddle etiquette, snap count etiquette. Except he wasn't. This guy was not a gentleman. This guy was not showing any etiquette whatsoever. Not only was he not a gentleman, Brock Osweiler was an absolute savage. The Brock Lobster is back, baby. He's back. Chicago just got done dirty by the big man. 28 of 44, 380 yards, three touchdowns, a couple of picks to keep it interesting, but 541 yards of total offense. I'm just going to come right out and say it. Brock Osweiler owns the Bears. He does. The Bears are 0-3 against this guy. And even after Kenyon Drake fumbled the game away at the one-inch line in overtime, Brock said, I got this. And he put the fins on his back, marched them for six plays, and as the clock expires, Jason Sanders kicks the OT winner. 47 yards. The kick is up. The kick is good! He hit the kick! Jason Sanders has won the game for the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> no flags. It's over. Like I said, weird, weird league. You want proof that that league is weird. Once again, the Cowboys body bag Jacksonville. And Brock Osweiler put up more than 500 yards of offense against a Bears defense that it looked ridiculous. Brock Osweiler was staring down a double-digit deficit late in the third quarter. And this dude just went Dan Marino with it. And honestly, I'm not even sure that he knew what the hell he was doing. After hitting Albert Wilson for a ridiculous 75-yard TD pass, he hits the Bears with a Jordan shrug. Only when 45 did it, he couldn't explain how everything he shot that he looked at went down. When Brock did it, I think he was legitimately confused. Like, how the hell am I doing this? Like, what's going on here? What happened? Well, it did happen, Brock. You went out 
and you beat the Bears. And then post-game, your coach went to the mic and basically lit Ryan Tannehill on fire. I don't know. I don't know. I don't sit there and ask him all these questions, and I just know the guy couldn't go today. All right? Go ask him. I'm tired of answering this question about this guy. God, I got it, but you know what? I'm, I'm over it. Me and him, we, we know that he's not right right now. Okay? The details of it, we'll keep that to us. You guys don't need to know that. I mean, Damn. You just go out there and you beat Chicago with the Brock Lobster. And that guy couldn't sound more aggravated, more irritated. Like, I don't know what the hell is going on between Tannehill and Adam Gaze. But I know that when your own head coach speaks with that kind of disdain and won't even mention the starting quarterback by name, that can't be a good thing. Gaze hit Tannehill with a him. He hit him with a this guy. He hit him with... I'm over it. I mean, that's the kind of thing that leads you to believe that we might be seeing even more of the lobster in aqua and orange. And I'm all about that. We're all all about that. Because one Sunday, a Brock lobster is incredible. But another one is better. How about the rest of the season? Oh, hell yes. No, and of course I don't think this guy can do it again. I just don't care. Because he did it yesterday. And the NFL is better with the Rock Lobster. Whether he is lighting himself on fire or lighting somebody else on fire. He's going to light something on fire. He's the Brock Lobster. And the NFL is better when he's under center and he's playing. The NFL is so much better when this guy's out there slinging it around the yard. Either to his own team or the other team. He's going to hit somebody between the numbers. And he's going to overthrow somebody. And he's going to put it 20 rows in the stands. He's going to do something, though. I'm over it. And Gaze is over it. I'm over it. We are joined by Jaleel Adai. Jaleel, nice to have you on. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good, man. I'm great. It's great to have you. Thanks for doing it. So you went to Cleveland yesterday. You blew out a Browns team that had a lot of momentum and a lot of buzz coming in. How good did it feel to go on the road and then turn in a dominating win like that against a good Cleveland team? Oh, it felt good. I mean, anytime you can go on the road in this league and get a W, um, it's awesome. But to do it in that fashion, uh, it felt good for us. It's It's a good confidence booster. Um, going into the game, Cleveland was a was a team that was hot, was rolling, um, had a lot of pieces to the puzzle that can that can allow them to be successful. And I think we did a good job all three phases coming out and getting the job done. You know what, you're right. They were rolling, coming in. You know they felt good about themselves. As a defense, you guys had five sacks. You had a couple of interceptions. Uh, Baker Mayfield, generally you made his day miserable. What did you see on film before that game, and what was the game plan going in? Oh, we wanted to just pressure him. We wanted to have tight coverage pressure. Coach always said uh, the Russian cover works together. Um, and and it, it, we covered well. They got sacks and they brought pressure to them on the front end. The linebackers and whoever blitzed with the secondary brought pressure. Uh, we, we came in with two interceptions. Um, shout out to Desmond King on that. Jaleel Adai joining us. Now you, looking at your game, you bring a versatility in that you can play safety, and at the same time, so does Rowan James. You've played mm-hmm. free safety and strong safety, and he can also line up in different spots. So how valuable is that versatility, and what's it do to have that level of versatility for the entire defense as a unit? Um, it's, it's awesome because teams never know what we're going to do. One week I'm back at free. Uh, next week I'm down at strong and vice versa for Derwin. You know, and Coach Gus Bradley, it gives them a lot of flexibility to do different things and get guys in situations and put them in places so they can make plays. Um, he does a good job of using, using allowing players to um, make plays and fit in positions to use their strengths. And I think we did a good job of that. 
Um, and it just it just speaks volume of what our coach is doing in the secondary coach Ron Midas, um, getting us both ready each weekend, week out, whether it's I'm playing strong and he's playing free or vice versa. So um, it's a good thing. We've got to keep it rolling. All right, so if you guys can switch back and forth like that and you've got that kind of versatility, how would you describe the relationship and the chemistry you have with Derwin? Um, first of all, he's from Florida. I'm from Florida, so we're both Florida boys. So it's, it's mutual love from the, from the beginning, man. He's awesome. He's awesome. Man. Everything that he came in with, with the hype, he's lived up to it. Um, he's big, fast, strong, physical. And the thing about it, he's smart. He wants to learn. You know, he, he's, he's, he's humble. He's grounded. And he continues to work, man. And when coming into the league, we both came in two different ways. He's coming in as a first-round draft pick, and I came in as a undrafted, undrafted pick, you know. So it's just two different ways that we came into the league. But we're here now working together, man, and it's, I, don't, I don't like working with anybody better than him. God, that's such a great point, right, the way you guys came in. I mean, you may have came up in a similar way in the same state, but you came into the league in such different ways. In fact, you came in, as I mentioned, as an undrafted free agent, and then you make the roster, and then you play 16 games as a rookie. What do you remember about that first year and establishing yourself in the NFL? I remember, I remember coming in, and I'm just like, okay, I'm undrafted. Um, I got to make every play. I can't make many mistakes. My, my room for error is very small. Um, but I remember having a solid camp, solid OTAs. Uh, going into the season, I started off at, in the dime package. Um, I think about, like, week six, um, I started in the nickel package, so I upped my reps. I was playing on all special teams. Um, and that was a real, real, real good year for me, real good year for us as a whole. We went to the second round of the playoffs. Um, and it was my first experience. And, you know, they always say, don't take it for granted, you know, because making those playoffs aren't easy. But uh, coming in as a rookie, you make it to the second round, you think it's like that. Every year, but it's not, man. And I'm going into my sixth season, and that's what we're looking for. So that's what we're looking for. Jaleel Adai, my guest. All right, to that point, I mean, the odds on undrafted free agents sticking with a team are low. The odds on them sticking with a team and lasting more than a year are even lower. And yet, here you are as a starting safety in your sixth season in the NFL. I mean, that type of thing just does not happen. It's not supposed to happen. How are you able to make that happen? Oh, well, first and foremost, I think I'm blessed, man. I think I'm blessed from for the man upstairs. Um, I give all the credit to him, but I come in from a, a strong family background where, where we're taught to just work. We're taught to work. Nothing's ever given to you. Everything is earned. Um, I just work each and every day. I always felt like I was I was good at the playing the league. Um, obviously, like everybody, you feel like you, you should have been drafted. And I think that's a chip on my shoulder that I carry around. I think that I carry that chip on my shoulder, and I want to let every other, all the other 31 teams know that with that pass up on me, they made a mistake. Former baseball player Sean Casey said on the program last week, Jaleel, you got to collect chips. You have to collect chips, and then you use them. You know, you mentioned your strong family background. Your mother, Jennifer, last week was one of three breast cancer survivors to fire the cannon before the start of the game. I want to ask you this, because she was diagnosed when you were a rookie. My father had leukemia. I will never forget when he told my sister and I, that, that was the diagnosis. What do you remember about hearing that news? Because I don't care what you've accomplished, how much success you've had as an athlete, there is right. nothing to prepare you for that, is there? Nothing at all. And it, it caught me off guard because both my parents are extremely healthy. And the funny thing about it is my mother actually never told her. She told my dad that she didn't want to tell me because she didn't want to derail me for my focus. So my dad told me, and it was hard for me because I had to keep it for my mother because my, my mother would have been upset if she found out that my dad told me strictly because she wanted she didn't want me to lose focus, you know. Um, it was a game in Jacksonville, my rookie year, with a breast cancer. Um, and I looked at her in the stands and I seen her up there. At this time, she didn't know that I knew she had cancer. And I went out and had one of the best games of my rookie season. Um, 
And after that game, I told her, I said, Mom, I know about what's happening. Um, I'm with you. I'm going to be here with you. Our whole family's here. We're praying for you. Um, after the season, I did a few chemo treatments with her. And the year after that, um, she was she was diagnosed, and they said that she was she was she was clean clean of the cancer. Um, and that's just all God, man. We give thanks, and she's she's healthy now. She shot the cancer last week, and she's one proud brother. Okay, that's so great. So, what was that like? One year later, when she told you she was cancer free, what was that moment like for you and your family? And then, how much have you learned from your mother and how she's battled cancer the way she has? Mm-hmm. Um, it was everything, you know, because unfortunately, a lot of families. And individuals don't make it through that. So there's not a lot of survivors. Um, but it, it meant everything. It just showed us that, you know, as a, if, our, if our mother can go through that, if our mother can stay strong, if she can fight the fight, um, and never waver, never show never show any weakness, um, she's a true superhero. And anything that we go through in life, it's minor compared to that. So we got to keep our heads up and our chest up and keep it moving. Jaleel Adai, my guest. I'm so glad that that was a diagnosis, that she's cancer-free, and thank you for sharing that story. Listen, before you go, I mean, six seasons with the Chargers means six seasons of watching and going up against Phillip Rivers. As somebody who studies every quarterback in the league, what is it that makes Rivers so different, so unique? Um, I, Number one, I think, is his competitiveness. He wants to be a rest. He wants to be the best. He wants to know what the defense is doing inside. He's smart. He's a competitor. He's fierce. Um in my opinion, future Hall of Famer um, by numbers or just what he's done. Um, and just seeing him, you know, because it's, it's hard. It's hard to, to be in this league as a quarterback, and he's done it for a very, very long time at a high level. So I'm blessed to be able to see it. I'm blessed to go against him each and every day. Um, when, I get out there against, when I get out there against quarterbacks on Sunday, um, they're not fill up. Listen, one last thought. The defense has had eight sacks in the last two mm-hmm. games, and they've done that without Joey Bosa and you've got an X-man-up mentality, how much better is this defense going to be when he comes back? And then what's the ceiling for that unit? Um, it's going to be crazy because we all know what Bosa brings to the table, um, best pass rusher in the game, um, and we're doing it without him right now. So we're just continuing to work. Like you said, that next man up mentality, we're doing it collectively. Um, safeties, linebackers, defensive linemen are, are, are creating sacks, creating pressure. Um, and when he gets back, man, everybody better watch out. Hey, actually, let me ask you this. You're going to London to play the Titans. I'm really curious about that. I mean, that I've made that trip, and I didn't have to put on any pads. That is not an easy trip. So how do you go right. about preparing your body for the trip and making sure you're ready to play mentally and physically come Sunday? Mm-hmm. Um, we got to just be professionals. It's our job. You know, we can't mess around. We got to know that we're on a, a two-game business trip. Um, we came out to Cleveland, got a win. Now we're looking forward to Tennessee and London. Um, coach has given us a schedule for us to sleep and collectively as a unit to, to when to go to sleep and when to wake up so you give your body the best chance of being up on in, in London um, with the crazy time difference. So that's the biggest thing. We're going to come out here and work, watch film, take it every week, um, take this week like every week, and just um, continue to work like a charger, and we'll see what happens. Chargers 4-2 and two, coming off that win against Cleveland. They're 4-2 and two in the AFC West, and they will be in London to take on Tennessee. Jaleel Adai, my guest. Jaleel, great to have you on the show. Nice job. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. I appreciate you. Hit that royalty-free techno in honor of Nathan Michael Peterman, Alvi. Peterman going Peterman in the clutch. Makes me feel like everything is right in the world. Just like the Bengals letting one slip away against the Steelers. The Browns getting killed. The Jags returning to mediocre form. War the Steelers trading for Patrick Peterson during their bye week. And Mike D for three. Boy, he nailed that one though, didn't he? That guy's so right about all of that.
Peterman going Peterman in the clutch. Check. Bengals melting down against the Steelers. Check. Browns getting killed. Check. Jags returning to mediocre form. Check. And the Steelers trading for Patrick Peterson. How about they trade for Patrick Peterson and they get Le'Veon Bell back? Because all of a sudden, Pittsburgh looks like Pittsburgh again. But let's just focus on one thing at a time. Bill's Mafia. You know I don't want to do this. You know it gives me no pleasure to have to do this. But I have to do this. It's my job. Just know, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And I hate myself for doing it. And you know I do not play favorites here. So, Albie, much like that guy just asked, and I myself will ask for the same thing, dust off your very best royalty-free techno and drop us all a freaking beat. Because he is back. Nate Peterman is back, baby. Buffalo's original QB1 went absolute legend yesterday in H-Town. That probably right there was the Nate Pete performance to end all Nate Pete performances. It takes a special quarterback to come into a huge game and steer a team to victory. And that's exactly what Nate Pete did for the Texans. If you measure a quarterback's ability by the impact he has on a football game, then Nathan Peterman is a first ballot Hall of Famer. There is no game that this guy does not impact greatly. In fact, skip the ballot and just throw a gold jacket on this guy right now because what this dude has done in just six games is absolutely electric. It's historic. Look at these numbers. 79 career passes, nine career INTs. Let me say that again. 79 career passes, nine career INTs. A quarterback rating of 29. Yesterday, with the Bills defense playing its ass off, Josh Allen out of that game with an elbow injury. Nate Peake gets the call, and he freaking answered it. Because after throwing career TD pass number three by spinning a dime to Zay Jones in the corner of the end zone, Nate Peake had the ball with a minute 34 left in a tie game with a chance to be a legend, to be a hero. Four seconds later, my man achieved that goal. Peterman picked off! Joseph! And he will go! Touchdown! I'm telling you, that was the most predictable Nate Pete moment ever. The most predictable Nate Pete house call ever. There's Nate Pete staring down Kelvin Benjamin. And there's Jonathan Joseph jumping the route. Not exactly scared off by Calzone's deep speed. I mean, that throw was so bad that two dudes nearly jumped that route. The Honey Badger was lasered in on that thing from center field, and he nearly got there in time to get it if Joseph wasn't camped out waiting for it before high-stepping into the end zone. So not only another pick six, the game-winning pick six. My man went absolute legend again. In fact, he pretty much does every single time he lines up under center. Just not for you, Bills Mafia. Just not for you. Again, Bills Mafia, doing this does not make me happy. I don't want to do this, especially after I watched your defense battle. Played their guts out. Seven sacks. 14 tackles for a loss. 
My man, Lorenzo Alexander, having a freaking ball game. Jordan Poyer waving to his ladies in the crowd after a huge interception. But it's awfully hard to talk about how good that D is playing when you've got Nate Pete out there burning it all to the ground, chasing that pick six with another freebie to finally finish off the Bills. Third down and six. Peterman throws across his body. I love that beat. It's royalty free. That's two interceptions in under a minute. And if staring a hole through a receiver while an entire secondary jumps that route were not enough, then rolling right and throwing back across your body to the middle of the field might have been. But according to Sean McDermott, it might not be. Because even after that performance, McDermott was not willing to jump off the Nate Pete train. Even after the Bills signed Derek Anderson last week, he said, quote, We'll see. Derek, as you know, just came this week. We're going to look at the film and see where we are and also see where Josh is and go from there. End quote. You know, Sean McDermott's a pretty good coach. Good coach. Solid coach. But if Nathan Peterman, can I get a royalty-free techno beat, Alvin? It is free. If Nathan Peterman has a job at the end of the week, you know, I got to kind of wonder about the coach. Now, I understand. I know why he's doing it. I understand that not saying who the starter is is so your next opponent has to prepare for more than one guy. But trust me, the Colts will be preparing for Anderson because they know Peterman requires no preparation whatsoever. I'd be shocked if any Colts coach or player spends even one second this week breaking any of Nate Pete's tape. For who? For what? Why would you waste that time? Two picks in a 44-point loss in week one should have been Nate Pete's right off into the sunset. Two more in 60 seconds is so peak Nate Pete that there is no place for this guy to go other than grad school. But again, I'm not here to bury a guy. I'm here to keep it positive. And the one positive thing that I can say about Nathan Peterman is that in the very least, we will always have this absolutely fire beat. And it will always be royalty free. Nate, I tried to pick you up, brother. I really did. You know I did. You know I did. I just can't. Bethany Hamilton, Unstoppable, which is also on the festival circuit right now. And we are joined in studio by Bethany Hamilton. Bethany, it's so nice to see you. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. It is great to have you here. There's so much we could talk about. Let me start by asking you about a recent trip to Indonesia. How long were you there and what was that trip like? Oh, my gosh. Um, I love Indonesia. I've been going there since I was 15 years old with my main surf sponsor, Rip Curl. And this trip was so special because I had my whole family which I always travel with my family, but, and then we were going with like about 15 younger girls and it was kind of like mentor, younger girl kind of surf trip. And it was just a blast. Every time we paddled out, there was at least 10 of us 
girls kind of taking over the lineup. <laughs> that is so great. How fun. So you mentioned your family and like any professional athlete, there's always that great balance between family and trying to achieve your goals, which I'll talk to you in a minute. But if we go back a little bit, when did you first start surfing and what was that feeling like? Were you hooked immediately? I'm pretty sure I was hooked. I mean, granted, my parents had me on a board before I could walk, so I don't know if I was quite hooked then, but I think I was a water baby. And then I kind of grew up just being at the beach and seeing my brothers and parents surf, and then eventually I kind of took it on. I think around six, seven, I was, like, hooked. <laughs> Bethany Hamilton joining me in studio. I think as most people know, when you were 13, you were attacked by a tiger shark. You lost your arm. I think at that point, if you never went back in the water ever again, that would make sense. But instead, you were back in the water less than a month later. How I'm, do you explain this? I'm so glad that I was willing to try. Because, yes, I could have totally, like, turned my back on the ocean and moved on in life and just had a completely different life. But... Little did I know I would be able to surf with one arm. And I had a lot of inspiration after I lost my arm from a guy by, name, by the name of Mike Coots who learned how to surf with one leg and he had lost his leg to a shark. So just, I don't know, something in me just couldn't let go of the ocean and riding waves. And I think it was just my God-given destiny. <laughs> I mean, Bethany, it's, it's, it really is something because the fact of the matter is you've said the loss of my arm felt like a speed bump, a little hurdle to get <laughs> over. It is such an amazing attitude and an approach. Where did that come from? You know, I mean, definitely growing up, I had a, I have my faith in God. And so when I lost my arm, I don't know, it's crazy. I just, I had a sense of peace that it was going to be okay and we were going to get past this and... Yeah, right now things felt like in the immediate loss, it was like, I don't know, I'm uncertain of my future. And I went from like very certain of my destiny to be a professional surfer and one of the best to like, well, I don't know what life's going to look like from here. I have one arm, things are different, but I just had to do it. I had to try. And um, it was my third wave. I stood up and rode it all the way to the beach and it felt like the best wave of my life. And from there, I just kept, putting my head down and figuring out how to do it with one arm. Bethany Hamilton joining me in studio. You know, you mentioned the ocean a couple of times, like I wanted to be near the ocean. The ocean was so important to me. I, I, I don't understand that like you do, but I will <laughs> say this. I grew up in Los Angeles and I was not near the water and then I moved down to where we are right now. And for six months, we lived near the water and there was something very strange about it. The people who are near the water understand this and I never had been, but once you're there, it's almost like you cannot get away from it. It centers you. Maybe you can explain to me better. What is that feeling that I had? Because once I got near the water, it felt totally different and I didn't want to be away from the water. Yeah, I think the ocean is just so special. And um, yeah, I totally get kind of anxious right. if I'm away from it for periods of time. Like try to keep it under two weeks at most because if I'm, I'm near the ocean, I'm in it just about every day. And I don't know, I think especially riding waves, it's just the thrill and beauty and challenge of it is so incredible. It's unexplainable. And especially the challenge, it just keeps keeps you coming back and like hunting for that next like special wave to like push yourself and become better and better. Is there a perfect wave? Have you ridden the perfect wave or is that something that you never really find, but you just keep chasing? Oh, I for sure had some perfect waves. And that's part of why I made my new film, um, Unstoppable, which ca uh, captures me in my element of riding waves and chasing my dreams and pushing myself to be the best I can be. Okay, now the, the documentary <laughs> is Bethany Hamilton, Unstoppable. There is a surf break in Hawaii 
named Jaws. <laughs> now, your husband, Adam, said that when you told him that you wanted to do Jaws, he didn't really know what it was. So he's like, cool, go for it. Yeah, probably just thought it was just you being you, you doing you. It sounds fun. But for those who do not know, what is Jaws? Um, well, Jaws, also known as Piahi, is one of the heaviest waves in the world and for sure the heaviest wave within Hawaii. And it's where only select surfers who have the desire and passion to push themselves to surf some of the largest waves there are to be ridden. And yeah, it's a very high consequence wave and very like incredibly powerful and beautiful. And so I've had the honor of surfing that wave and it's absolutely mesmerizing. I've and heard the best <laughs> of the best. Kelly Slater was talking about how scary it is. He said it is scary. And I completely agree with him. Okay, so what, <laughs> if that's true and it must be, what made you want to go there? Why is that something you had to do? Yeah, ever since I was a young girl, I loved surfing bigger, like crazier waves. And <laughs> I think sometime in my teen years, I was like, I want to surf Jaws someday. And um, definitely put it on my like bucket list and goals to do within my surfing surfing um, dreams. So finally, I made it happen and I got out there and had an absolutely incredible few days out there. And I definitely want to surf it again sometime soon, but... Yeah, I've been having babies and whatnot, so yeah, take a little break here and there. <laughs> Bethany Hamilton joining us, and she is in studio. She's got two books out. There's a documentary. So if that was on the bucket list and you had thought about that since you were a young girl, what was it like when you were paddling out towards Jaws? Okay, so I did, I had two different sessions. One session I was toe surfing with a jet ski, and one session I was paddling. But the paddling session was like, for sure the scariest session of my life. But also like, I don't know, I think for people listening, they might think like, well, why would you wanna surf it if it's just so scary? So it was scary yet thrilling and beautiful and challenging. And so all those different elements kind of like drew me to that day and getting out there. And I definitely got pounded on some and I got some good ones. And yeah, it's just amazing to be out there amongst such a large wave. And like, it's a different approach than smaller waves. Like surfing here in California, it's just very like lighthearted, so to say. <laughs> right. Versus surfing Jaws, it's like heavy hearted. Like you're every like, um, what's it called? Sense is switched on and you're in full like surf mode survival mode slash I'm going to do this mode. Like you said, it's a wave of consequence. <laughs> well, but if if there's that much risk, and there is, and there is. I remember once, I don't know if you know, if you remember the guy Evil Knievel very well, but he was talking about one of his jumps and there being a 50-50 chance that he might not make it. And I said to him, why would you do that? If there was a 50-50 chance, a coin flip chance you might die, his response was, and I quote, you know who the hell I am? So I would expect, not, not that you would say that, but you need this. You need to feel this, right? But as you said, you're having babies. You have a family right now. How does that all factor in? Yeah, well, like my husband, um, he's super supportive and he knows how hard, I, like he sees how hard I've been working for this since I was a young girl and like putting my body through physical off-water training and training in the ocean. So I've put a lot of time and dedication to preparing myself for moments like that, like working towards the days when the waves are absolutely perfect and you're out there to do your best and catch that perfect wave. So yeah, I just, um, I take confidence in my ability. I 
I have the ability to hold my breath for four plus minutes. So I know that if I get held under, I'm going to be okay. I just hold my breath and stay calm. You don't panic? No. Yeah. I'm really good about staying calm. Plus they have so much like flotation vests nowadays and like safety equipment. We had a crew there on standby to help if anything went wrong. But Bethany, four minutes. How, <laughs> that's something you worked on. That's something you learned. You have great lung capacity. How, how can you do four minutes? Well, four minutes is my static hold. So, um, it's kind of like you're laying underwater and like just remaining calm. But yeah, I've done a lot of practice. Ever since I was young, I was always like diving underwater, like picking shells and like you're always striving to find that next shell. So just doing different things growing up, like trained my lungs to be able to hold and be strong. And also I have like a really strong swimming ability and um, yeah, even with one arm, it's totally possible. Bethany, so. you're really good at lots of stuff. <laughs> Bethany Hamilton joining me in studio. So you've got two books out too right now. You've got Be Unstoppable, The Art of Never Giving Up. You have a children's book, Unstoppable Me. What is Be Unstoppable about and what is Unstoppable Me about? Yeah, it's, it's um, so Be Unstoppable, The Art of Never Giving Up is just encouraging people to get through those tough times in life and finding their kind of passion and their, um, you know, what's going to push them past those challenging things that could potentially hold them back. Um, so it's kind of like coffee table. You can open up to any page and get a little inspiration. And it's really beautiful visual um, scenes and captures of me surfing around the world to hopefully inspire people to not give up. And Unstoppable Me was definitely a passion project for me, making this kid's book and now being a mom of two. My husband wrote it and I helped with the art direction and whatnot. And it's adorable. It was so fun to make and um, it's a blast to read to my little guys. <laughs> Isn't that fun? That is so great. And the thing is, I mean, you didn't just get back up on the surfboard. You didn't just go back out there. You came back to compete at the highest levels professionally. So what do you say to somebody who's watching right now or listening right now who's going through a hard time and maybe feels like they don't feel unstoppable and they're not yeah. sure how to push through? What's your advice for that person? Yeah, and I definitely can relate to that. I haven't always, like, you know, I'm not, like, perfect. There's down days or tough times that I've had. And I've definitely, like, my faith in God has been my rock through, like, the toughest of tough times. But I found, too, like, just having something to work towards and reach um, reach towards in my future. So, like, I'm always pushing with my surfing and I have my next, like, goal to kind of work towards and having something to, you know, clinging to my passions and doing things I love to do is so helpful in pushing past those hard times. And also just having people around me that support me and encourage me and love me just as I am. And, you know, they're going to help me push through those tougher times. And Such so. a great message. All right. So for those, you can get these books where you buy books, but for those who do not know they're interested, what's the best way to find the book? How can you get the books? Yeah, they're on Amazon. So everybody's on Amazon nowadays. And I think they're on my website, bethanyhamilton.com. And yeah, I hope you guys enjoy them if you get a chance to check them out. Absolutely. Now, before you go, I want to make this point too, that you're an inspiration to so many people and you're a mom and you're a husband, but you're still a professional athlete competing at a high level. In 2016, you received a wild card invite to the World Surf League's Elite Pro event. You lost in the first round, but you beat the world number one. Tyler Wright, and then a six-time world champion in Stephanie Gilmore en route to finishing third. What was that experience like? 
Oh, that was one of the best results I've had in a professional event. So it felt amazing to take down two world champs and um, yeah, just surf at, at a, such a high level with the world's best female surfers, which I've always believed I've had the ability is just like getting the opportunity. And yeah, I loved it and um, thankful to just keep doing what I love. <laughs> I want to ask you one last thing about that because the write-up on your performance on Sports Illustrated's website starts with, this really isn't supposed to be happening. What's your reaction when you hear that? Do you think that they're right, this is not supposed to be happening? Or do you think, you know what, this actually is supposed to be happening? Yeah, well, I hardly pay attention to media and whatnot, but... Um, yeah, I think... Except this show. You're going to like this show, Bethany. <laughs> this is a pretty good show. <laughs> yeah, it's been awesome talking with you. You too. Like, I love pushing my own and other people's perspective of um, boundaries. So it's what we're meant to do. Push each other's boundaries. And um, for those who don't believe, they'll become believers once they see us do it. Greg in San Diego. What's up, Greg? How are you? Romy. Romy. It's been a long time. Let's flash back to Los Alamitos and Mr. B's Sports Bar. You're live on the air after 9 o'clock at night, and the brawl at Mr. B's Sports Bar breaks out, Romy. How did that feel? Do you remember it? And it's way better than what happened with the New York Knicks and their brawl, Romy. Hey, Greg, 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 really quick. You, you were not there that night, were you? Yes, I was. I was the one right in the middle of it. I was wearing a Junior Seau jersey, and freaking my buddy was wearing a Jeff Loggeman New York Jets jersey, <laughs> and four Raider fans, before they wore costumes, they just had long hair, a big old doobie roaming, hanging out of their mouth, started jawing, and the brawl broke out. I got hit, I got tackled, my glasses went flying, my buddy with the Loggeman jersey falls to the ground, we see the brawl breaking out, Romy, and thank God you, my man, were protected back in the one corner by I don't know who it was. Do you remember this, Romy? Do I remember this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course I remember this. I was there, Greg. Good night now! How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.